From VinePair's New York City headquarters, I'm Adam Teeter. And I'm Joanna Sherino. And in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Jabal. And this is the VinePair Podcast. And if you're a regular listener to the VinePair Podcast, you might be wondering, why did three voices <laughs> just pop huh? into my podcast feed? It is Friday. We on promise. On a Friday. Don't, doesn't this usually come to my feed on Monday? And then maybe sometimes I listen to it on Tuesday. But I mean, I really want to be up with the time. So I definitely don't wait till Wednesday to listen to the VinePair Podcast. <laughs> no. no, dear listener, you are not confused. That is because moving forward, we're going to be doing, that's right, Two of these a week. Oh my God. <laughs> it's so much demand, but we're going to change up a little bit. So you might also be used to getting next rounds in your feed every week. Those are going to come to an end. And what we will be replacing the next rounds with is this episode. So every Friday, you can expect a really awesome conversation between myself, Joanna, and Zach about a really interesting topic, followed by an interview that one of us is going to conduct with someone who has experience or expertise in the conversation we've just had. Um, we're really excited about this new format. You know, we've heard from a lot of you that the conversations that Joanna, Zach, and I have are, are your favorite, you know, part of the podcast. So that's what, why we wanted to bring you more. You know, look, guys, we want to give of ourselves as much as we can because we just <laughs> love that you love listening. So that's what you're going to hear from now on. Uh, we hope that you enjoy it. We hope that this, you know, helps feed the demand. And, uh, <laughs> and beast. Yeah, we're feeding the beast, and uh, and so and so. Without further ado, like let's get into this Friday's topic, which is the world of canned cocktails, but with a twist. And that is, there's so many out there, right? And we've had this conversation a, a bunch on the pod that the majority of people who start businesses, you know, in, in the U.S. recently, right? Especially these kinds of businesses raise capital. Uh, you know, it, it's very unlikely. That in this day and age, you go to the bank and you get a loan and you you open a business, right? I think our parents' generation was able to do that. Most people don't do that anymore. Uh, you go and you usually raise angel funding, venture funding, et cetera. And angels and and you know venture funds don't invest, uh, you know, because they like you, and they, they invest because <laughs> they want a return, which means they want you to sell, and they also want you to sell because. When you sell, you hopefully make a profit and you sell for more than you told them the value of your company was and they invested and they make a profit, right? So I thought we'd have a fun conversation today uh, before we jump into our interview uh, with Rocco Milano, the co-founder of On The Rocks Cocktails, about what can cocktails out there right now do we think are the next ones to get bought and who would buy them and why? Hmm. Well, we all know that I I and Adam also love um, tip top cocktails, and but I, I don't know the second part of this uh, question. I guess but you don't know who will buy them. <laughs> I don't know who's going to buy them. <laughs> Guys, come on! I just love them so much. I think they have such a wonderful concept, and they do canned cocktails really well. Um, they're based out of Atlanta. Who would buy them? I think because they're a southern based brand. If we're just going to stick to uh, you know, spirits companies, I think mm -hmm. the most likely acquirer for me would make to make sense would be Sazerac. Mm. You know, it's, it's a company that sort of obviously owns Buffalo Trace is really well known in the spirit space, but they are Southern Bay, you know, they're, they're based in Louisville. They also have offices in New Orleans. This is an Atlanta based company. It just feels like, you know, if Sazerac isn't paying attention to tip top, they probably should be. Um, they make a really good old fashioned, uh, mm -hmm. it'd be, probably interesting to see how that old fashioned tastes with one of their uh, whiskeys. Um, and then, you know, obviously I Sazerac dabbles in the worlds of tequila, rum, et cetera. And, and could be interesting to see how their specific spirits play in those drinks too. 
What do you think, Zach? So the fascinating thing to me about this category is you have kind of, I think, two possible paths for for someone, for a company to come in and buy one of these brands, right? You have the the, the model that um, you talk about with Rocco in the interview um, about On the Rocks, where it sort of stems out of a partnership with Beam Suntory using their product in the yeah. cocktails and bottled cocktails. And it makes total sense, right? Like they're already kind of have an established partnership. And eventually, you know, Beam Suntory says, hey, look, you know, we think what we're doing here is, is really working. We want to buy this out. Mm-hmm. And then you have the sort of just like, and that, that would fit the Sazerac model, even if there's not an established partnership, right? Like they see a way to kind of totally. get themselves in, you know, get themselves a an RTD uh, presence with a, with a brand that has a lot of, um, you know, a lot of acclaim and they can, you know, kind of feed their product in through that. I wonder if we could see a different model with TipTop and that's another Atlanta-based company, Coca-Cola. So to me, what's fascinating here is you just saw PepsiCo get into beverage alcohol with the Mountain Dew hard seltzer, right? Yeah. And for time immemorial prior to that, non-alk soda companies did not touch alcohol, right? I mean, they they didn't co-market. There was no, you know, you you, did, you didn't get a pre-mixed, you know, rum and coke or something like that, right? But you know Coca-Cola is looking at this, got to be looking at this, you know, not just at RTDs, but hard seltzers, things like that. And says like, we got the most recognizable beverage brand in the world. How are we not leveraging this? And again, mm-hmm. yeah. that leveraging might look like them putting their own stuff out there. But if they want to be able to get multiple facets of an alcohol distribution business going, that to me seems like a natural one. And the other thing about this is you got to remember too, I mean, as you talk about with Rocco, not to spoil the entire interview is, you know, for, for them, a big part of, a big part of the, the business model was placements in hotels, placements in, on airlines, placements yep. at arenas. Coca Cola's got all Google that shit locked yeah. down. You yeah, know, they know do really Tip Top well. is already in that as well. They're in Delta. But yeah. I mean, it's yeah, but I mean, they can, well, of course, but I mean, mm-hmm. but Coca-Cola can take that global, right? Like, mm-hmm. like Tip Top's not going to take probably by themselves. They're not <laughs> going to be airlines the world over, stadiums the world over, all that. But Coke can do that. And so that would be my guess. That's really it's a out there. Pretty good. Well, I think that's smart. Know. I think that's smart. What, what about you, Zach? Uh, what, what brand would you throw out there as you think is, is one that people should be looking at right now that's uh, can, in the canned cocktail game? Well, you know, I think that's really fascinating. I, I will freely admit. So my first one <laughs> was actually, I, I was like, who do I see a lot? And I was like, Cutwater. And I was like, oh, they're actually owned by AB InVev. So yeah. uh, they've already been bought. <laughs> uh, I was too late on that one. I'm a little bit intrigued. I, I know you interviewed Craft House, um, the founders of Craft House. I, I think what's interesting is with a brand like that, like... Uh, there isn't as much of a natural synergy with like a local or or sort of regional um, brand because they're min- they're Minneapolis based, right, Adam? Yeah, but there is a synergy. But we'll okay. We'll, I'll get there after you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You talk because you did the interview, and even though I edited it, you'd think I would remember more. Um, they do a little bit blur together, but but I honestly wonder if if what we will see and it kind of feeds into this, and I, I haven't seen an example of this yet, but I'm wondering, and I'm going to take this conversation a little bit sideways. I apologize. Will you see a brand that is that is like ultra premium canned cocktails, right? And that might be a place for for um, where where you know so far the price points have been pretty you know certainly well under what you would get a cocktail for at a bar or restaurant typically, right? But what if someone says, "Hey, we want to we we want to we want to start making a a Manhattan with ultra premium bourbon, or we want to mm-hmm. make a you know a canned." 
you know, whatever, pick another cocktail, um, you know, a, a, a Rob Roy or something with a, yeah, Negroni with ultra premium gin. Like I, that might get the, I maybe not with the same mass market intention as some of these other brands, but maybe that catches someone's eye who says, you know what, like we, we can really, you know, why wouldn't someone get a $15 can cocktail, right? If, if right. we can put a, if we can put a product in it that, that demands that price point, I don't know, maybe we can do that. Yeah. <laughs> So the but natural, tell me about craft house. The natural synergy here uh, is so Charles Jolly, who is you know one of the two founders, has won Diageo World Class you know, oh. I think four or five times. So if if there was <laughs> the only reason I'm saying this because like he's in the family, they clearly yeah. know who he is. You know, um, I think also Diageo could take that brand and do some really interesting things with it. I think you know one of the things that i would fix with craft house a little bit is some of the branding and i think diage is really good at branding and marketing mm-hmm. and i think mm-hmm. that what craft house is really good at is the liquid in the bottle is really high quality so that could be really interesting uh for them to play around with and you know i think that craft house is doing some interesting things with packaging and stuff so that would be interesting um for me i have one obvious one and 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 then a second one so i think the one that probably people are going to be like why didn't you talk about this company at all is you know who would ABI buy because ABI loves acquisitions. And I think that's because the their acquisition is pretty obvious and that's going to be five drinks. Mm. I think five drinks will get bought pretty soon by ABI because, mm-hmm. you know, ZX Ventures is a pretty big investor in five drinks and the founder of five drinks is a former ABI executive. So okay. that, that's just, you know, in a few years, we're just going to hear it's, it's going to be much more of around the story, I think, of uh, you know, on the rocks. Although the, it, on the rocks is not is not founded by a, a former Beam, Beam Suntory executive, but Beam was a minority investor in the um, in the drinks pretty early on, and then you know bought it. So I think that's why it's just going to happen. Uh, and they also have, have you know high quality cocktails in a can. Um, the other one that I think would be interesting for for people to be paying attention to, and mine is uh, Santa Grestas. Mm. It's more for their branding and then the quality. Their, and their innovation, right? So I know that other places had been doing, you know, bag and box cocktails, but not, I think, to the extent the Santa Grasses has in terms of just making it actually feel cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, the branding is really good, and then the cocktails inside are great. And, you know, they're very much Italian focused. And so I was thinking of this for a while, and I think a lot of people might be shocked at the, the company that I would say I think should be looking at them, uh, but that's Gallo. And the reason that I say Gallo is Gallo actually is very quickly becoming the fifth largest spirits company in the in the country, uh-huh. um, and they have this. They're obviously you know Italian focused. They're an Italian American family. They have a, a, a lot of amazing actually Italian wines they bring in. They bring in like Renato Rotti, Allegrini, etc. They mm-hmm. also I think a lot of people aren't aware have a partnership with Montenegro with Select, etc. It actually mm-hmm. would really fit very well. You know, obviously I understand that Santa Gresses is also. A distillery, which makes it a little bit different than some of the others we're talking about who are sourcing their spirits mm-hmm. from other places to make their, their canned cocktails. I mean, they're a canned cocktail brand that also owns a distillery. So there could be some issues there, like is immediately, you know, Gallo going to insert select into the box of Negronis that St. Agrestis is currently making? Probably not, right? Because mm-hmm. part of what it makes those cocktails really popular is they're using their own, you know, Inferno bitter. But I think it would be really interesting and Gallo is a company that really understands, you know, distribution and marketing and they understand that format too. I mean, you know, Gallo and so, it has been selling box wine forever uh, as one of, you know, 
these SKUs that they believe in. And I think, you know, for them to be the company that gets behind boxed cocktails, mm-hmm. be really cool. And I think they could do it really well. So those, that would be mine. So I think, I think we have, we have four companies that are, uh, really seem to fit the, you know, the mold for, for why you would be bought and by whom. Is there anyone we missed you guys think? I think the other one that occurred to me, I can't believe I didn't think of this before, but I was thinking back on our podcast episodes and there would be Ramona um, mm-hmm. and, you know, founded by Jordan Salcedo. You can listen to that podcast interview as well uh, in the archives. But in that one, to me, I don't have a great, I mean, I would be curious again, Adam, you have such a your finger on the pulse of this thing better, much better than I do. But there's another one where, you know, you, you think about, you know, they're already kind of relatively well-established, but maybe have hit a sort of like, I think one of the things that's really hard to know in this whole category is like, you know, where is the upward growth potential for some of these, right? Like has, has Ramona reached its sort of like natural equilibrium point wherein it's like, well, it's available, think all over the country, at least to some extent, you know, it's, it's well-regarded, but is there like 10 X growth in it? I don't know. You know, maybe, maybe some of these other things, maybe because of its like flavor profile and style, it itself is just kind of like capped out sort of where it is. And so that's obviously a big part of this, right? You know, anyone who's looking to acquire in these big companies, they're looking for something that they can take, you know, they can grow massive, you know, from, from where it is to to a much bigger state, wherever it is now. And so I, I don't know, but I would, I think it would be remiss in not mentioning them because they were, um, you know, one of the first. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't see it for them to be honest, and I don't. And they may not want it. That's the other thing, of course. Yeah, I think I think the brand is cool, but I think it's almost too cool, kid. Mm. And mm. I think that the other issue is, I think that it's been around for a really long time, and so like usually what you see with you know purchases is you want to see like a brand that gets bought that's had very quick momentum, and, and basically you want a company that says, we know that with a, you know, with cash that we could funnel in, we could immediately like five X this growth or six X this growth. I'm not sure, you know, for wine spritzes, I just don't know how big that market is. If it was, I think if Ramona pivoted and they were making like spritz spritzes, so we're talking about something that sort of included an, um, you know, some sort of an Amari. So maybe Mm -hmm. it's Aperol contingent or whatever. I think that has a huge potential, but then the question is what spirits company would purchase and want to go up against what's coming very quick to the American market, which is Aperol Spritz's canned cocktail, right? And that's going to be a behemoth. And I mean, we know how much you know money Campari put behind just Aperol in the American market a few years ago. Like that'd be a lot to sort of compete against. So I think I think it'll be difficult, but you know who knows. I had another one. I was actually thinking about Lone River, but that was actually already acquired. Already acquired by Diageo. By Diageo, yeah. yep. In March, but then I was just thinking of this category of you know like ranch waters and tequila based RTDs. And I thought of Onda. Yes, that's true. And I really liked Onda. Um, I, I would much prefer to drink that than like a white claw or a hard seltzer. So I think that has a lot of potential. I think it's also just getting very popular now as well. So I, agree. I don't know, like a Bacardi or. On, that would make a lot of sense for Bacardi actually. Bacardi owns Patron mm-hmm. uh, that, you know, they, they understand how to sort of, They've had some of the biggest acquisitions in the past, so that that would be really interesting. So why don't we get into this conversation that I have with uh, Rocco Milano, the co-founder of On the Rocks, and we can hear his story about how only five years ago they started a canned cocktail brand. Well, not canned, bottled, to be fair, uh, when everyone thought they were crazy and have sold it already to being some tour. Today, I'm really 
Excited to be joined by Rocco Milano, the co-founder, brand ambassador, mixologist of On The Rocks Cocktails. Uh, It's probably pretty likely recently you've seen these in your local liquor store, maybe on a plane or in a hotel. These things are everywhere recently. Uh, Rocco, thanks so much for joining me. Adam, it is an absolute pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. So... You know, we got to get into this. Uh, really curious. We've talked to a lot of different canned cocktail brands as part of these next round conversations, but you guys were some of the earliest. Um, and when you sort of started, there, there, you know, it really felt like there was a huge white space, right? 2015 was when you launched, right? Oh, Adam, in, in 2015, I was being told flat out I was pissing away my career getting involved in a ready to drink. Yeah, I mean, and now you're and now you're owned by me. So <laughs> let's let's see. Uh, I mean, f- five years, you know, six years that that changes. I mean, it's it is insane how many bottled cocktails the Vine Pair staff is sent every single week. I'd say you know it's everyone sort of has a <laughs> has a desire now to get into the business. But I was curious, sort of like if you could take us back to that beginning in 2015, tell me a little bit about sort of what you guys saw, what made you decide to do this then and how you went about it. Sure. Um, well, you know, it, it starts at, uh, at a restaurant, you know, at a bar. Um, I've been a bartender for 15 years. Uh, my business partner, Patrick Halbert, he owned a restaurant uh, that had formerly been known as Private Social, reconcepted as Barter. And I was still, you know, I stuck around. I was running his beverage program. And, you know, we found that, you know, we tried doing a lot of different things and we kept getting known for our cocktail program. It was just a really, really strong one. You know, private social within six weeks of being open was top 10 places in the city to drink. Uh, And we just kind of kept that trend always going. We were a cocktail hotspot to the point that, you know, 10 years ago, uh, I had to pull beer from my taps and I was doing cocktails on tap because I couldn't sell beer to save my life at that place. Um, Everyone came in and that's what we were known for. Well, so let me let me jump in. Let's let's tell people where you are. So you're talking about Dallas too. Yes, yes. My right? apologies. Yes, Dallas, nope. Dallas, Texas. Which is also pretty funny that you couldn't sell beer in Dallas, <laughs> just based on you know I think the 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 stereotype people might have of Texans liking their beer. Um, that's uh, really interesting. Let me take it a step further, brother. The one when, when I decided to throw in the towel was Texas OU weekend. I could not sell beer to Texans or, or Okies. And I just, I threw in the towel at that point for beer. I said, you know what? We're going to lean into cocktails. We're going to play to our strengths and we're really going to push that. And, uh, and like I said, 10 years ago, we were doing, you know, something that fun and that different. And that was the cool part of working with and, and for Patrick is that, you know, anything I wanted to do, he was always on board with. Uh, you know, he got me away from the mansion on Turtle Creek, which is a five star five diamond hotel to go run a bar in uptown Dallas because he used these two magic words that I desperately wanted at that point. And it wasn't more money and it wasn't more better benefits, even though it was technically both. It was creative control. Adam, that was worth its weight in gold right. to a, a bartender who's just lost in cocktail books, who's just reading, who's going home and sleeping six to eight hours a night because they can't wait to get back into the kitchen and try the syrup or try making this better or try doing all these different things. And it was it was so much fun to kind of live in that place of can I be creative? Uh, you know, the, the, the great line from uh, uh, what Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory um, uh, pure imagination, right? Um, right? You know, living there, you'll be free if you truly wish to be. And that's where I was at. And it was just such a fun place and time to be able to do all these kind of cool things. Well, you know, I, I had I put a cocktail menu on, I, sorry, I put a cocktail on my menu called Bartender's Choice. Okay. And what that was is I would ask you four questions and I'd customize a cocktail for your experience. 
And it was so much fun because it gave me the chance to, to just wow every single guest I had come into that bar. And the highest compliment I've ever been paid, I had one woman once tell me, you just served me everything I never knew I always wanted. And it was just, That's it was, pretty dope, yeah. right? I mean, it was, it was really, really cool. And, uh, and Virgin America, they're in flight team. They're doing a big kickoff out of Love Field. I had a number of friends at LSG Sky Chefs and they actually brought the in-flight crew for Virgin. And Virgin, I mean, you want to talk about just a cool brand, um, you know, to be affiliated with, to be associated with in any size, way, shape or form. Well, their VP of food and beverage, uh, came in with the in-flight crew. So there's about six people. I'm um, uh-huh. sitting at this one table and I go to the table and I do bartender's choice for all six of them. I ask, you know, these four questions to all six people and I go back to the bar and I'm, I pull different glassware out. I'm doing different, you know, spirit types. I'm doing this bitters, this garnish. I'm doing, you know, this, you know, fun throwback, this modern twist. I, I'm changing it up all depending on what they said. And I come over, I drop all six drinks down and I start going through everything. And the VP uh, for Virgin turns to me is like, would you consider doing an in-flight cocktail menu for Virgin America? We absolutely love this. We think this is so cool. And, um, you know, so I talked to Patrick about it and Patrick comes back with, Hey, I got a better idea. What if instead of just putting together a menu, what if we found a way to bottle cocktails and see if Virgin America would be interested in buying them? Hmm. So we started trying to target airlines. And anytime you're starting a business, I mean, you can't get enough good advice. A number of people who are like, man, you are pissing away money trying to sell to airlines. Well, what we found is that we weren't trying to compete necessarily head to head with whiskey providers, with vodka providers, with rum, uh, you know, uh, distilleries. What we were doing was offering that extra little uh, step of combining the cocktails for you. Right. So that in-flight team, all you got to do is pop and pour. There's five of these poor people on the plane. There's 300 of us. And now, oh, my God, we can do a fun, cool cocktail cocktail program at 30,000 feet. Now, unfortunately, Virgin got acquired by Alaska before the program kicked off, but they took the extra step of introducing us to some of their friends. So we ended up uh, working with Hawaiian Airlines, which was our first airline partner at the gate. And now to this point, and it's still a very, very surreal thought, because, again, having been a bartender for 15 years, I'm a guy standing behind a bar. you got to come see me. Are my tie? Hawaiian flies everywhere they fly around the world. That's amazing. You can get a cocktail I made from Honolulu to Sydney. Mind-blowing, brother. Just mind-blowing to me. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I think it's what's, what's interesting is, you know, you took a path that it seems like a no-brainer, right? Like, where can you not get great cocktails? I mean, what you guys also did, which I was really impressed by, is target really early on hotels. But you... I don't think a lot – even even now, I don't think a lot of people making canned and bottled cocktails are doing that. Right. I think they're still – you know, they're going after the restaurant or they're trying to get in at all these different, you know, independent wine shops and spirit stores. But like what you did basically was ensure that for every – you know, your brand was exposed to every single person that flew. That's just incredible. Absolutely, Adam. And, and what we started to develop very, very early on was a philosophy that we are for where the bartender's not. Yep. Right. And and I, I again, having been a bartender, you know, when I, I remember presenting to to Omni Hotels and their VP of food and beverage, absolutely one of my favorite people, brilliant, brilliant man, a great, great vision into the, the F&B space. When I first met him, he pointed at the bar behind him and said, I have a full bar right there. Why do I need you? 
And I, I immediately shot back, well, let's talk about your in-room dining program. Let's talk about what you're yep. serving in your golf carts. Let's talk about your spa program. Let's talk about your VIP amenities. Because at the end of the day, you know, I'm a Hilton Diamond member, a Marriott Bonvoy member, um, or, you know, a, a Omni Black member. Anyone can send red, white, or sparkling, right? That's not particularly interesting or sexy. But now I can send you some old fashions. I can send you some margaritas. I can send you an actual cocktail basket if you're hosting your Mm -hmm. wedding at my property. Man, that's innovation. That's showing up in fun, creative ways that nobody else was doing at the time. And it's what made it so much fun over the past five years to go to these conferences and present to these people because you could see it in their eyes when the light flip switched. And all of a sudden, they got what the hell I was talking about, and they picked it up and ran with it. And you're exactly right, man. We, we managed to create demand effectively by playing in a space that nobody was playing in. Yeah. I got to say, I mean, just as, as, a, as a quick you know, point, first of all, I've had the cocktails. They're very good. I, I, I especially enjoy your Mai Tai. But also, for the amount of you know founders and people I have on this uh, podcast, you are insanely fucking excited <laughs> and a hell of a salesman and that no but that goes a long way i really like your your enthusiasm for this is very infectious and i feel like that also something that some of the people who listen to podcasts who have you know alcohol starts etc should take to you know into account is like your enthusiasm has to come through right if you're not enthusiastic about what you're doing it's you're never going to sell it or it's going to be a much harder sell whereas i can already see you five years ago sitting down with some of these beverage directors and basically convincing them to be as excited about it as you are. Because a five-year trajectory from you guys to start to sell is insane. I, and is really insane. It, it, it's completely mind-blowing to me. It really, really is. And, and first of all, I mean, Adam, thank you so much for, for the shout-out on the energy. Um, you know, much love to Five Hour. I'm on my third for the day. That's definitely helped. Uh, but beyond that, man, we're, we're talking about a subject that I love and that I am passionate about. Yeah. You know, I used to always tell people, you know, there was a guy I used to work with in Florida, part of the hotel team for our distributor down there. And he would always tell me that just hearing my travel itinerary made him nervous. Because, um, you know, when people would ask me, well, where are you based? My, my default, because, I, you know, I, I fly at a DFW, so I fly American. It, you know, the, the, common, the constant question was, you know, well, where are you based? And I would always answer the same. I'm based out of the nearest Admirals Club. I mean, I'm just, I'm forever on the road. <laughs> but you want to know why I'm on the hustle? One, I love what I'm doing. Two, I genuinely believe in what I'm doing. I'm one of those truly blessed people that um, gets to do what they love. And then three, I got four little boys, 13, 8, 6, and 5. You know what that means, Adam? Everyone's hitting college at the exact same time. So you better believe my ass was out there talking to people, going to the shows, going to the meetings, and trying to make it happen. So, so let's let's go back to how did you make it happen? So obviously, you know, we've we've jumped very far ahead (laughs) to the fact that Beam ultimately bought you know bought on the rocks in twenty twenty very recently. Um, But how did you when you so? Virgin comes in, they have, you know, they ask you to make a a menu, you know, your business partner says, I'm going to do less one better. Let's try to bottle these. So how did you figure it out? Because I think one of the other things that has been really difficult in this specific market is, you know, and I hate to say this, so many of them suck. Yes. So many of the, of the bottled cocktails just aren't that good. And so how did you go about trying to figure out how to make these cocktails taste good? Because it's not as easy as I think people think it will be. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, first and foremost, it, it took a solid year 
of R&D. So we, we, after, you know, kind of the restaurant closed, uh, because of the three-tier system, you can't have a you know, distillery license and be an operator. So we had to close down the restaurant to, to kind of start the, the, the cocktail journey. Um, you know, it took a solid year of R&D. And one of the things that, uh, that we had kind of going for us is I'm not a guy in a lab coat that's never made a cocktail. I've worked with these drinks day in, day out, 15 years solid through every kind of bar you can imagine from a biker bar in the Santa Cruz Mountains to, like I said, a five-star, five-diamond hotel here in Dallas. And I, I knew what these drinks should look like and what they should taste like. And because I was able to approach it as a bartender would, and we very, very quickly established what our tenants were uh, as a brand. You know, we, we had to be, you know, natural. We had to stick with cane sugar. I didn't want to use fructose or corn syrup or any of that garbage that's out there. Any color variations had to be fruit or vegetable juice. We didn't want to use these, these inauthentic parts. We wanted to give you that cocktail experience, and that had to start with what we were going to put into the drinks. And we, you know, through a lot of trial and error, I mean, we sent out emails to purveyors for every kind of ingredient you can imagine. Um, I remember, you know, the number of places we reached out to to say, hey, can, can we try sourcing bulk spirits? And just the number of options that are out there on places to buy, say, rum, for instance, in bulk. Rum, I choose specifically just because there's so much variation within that category. So, so you know, a little bit more about me. So aside from having been a bartender for, for the past 15 years, I'm a certified specialist of spirits and I'm a spirits professional at the U.S. Mm-hmm. Bartenders Guild. So one of the things that, that you know, I, I took a, a lot of pride in learning about all these different ingredients that I was going to use. So when it first came to rum, for instance, and we first talk about that Mai Tai, you know, we picked rums of different styles, of different regions, of different ages. And consequently, we blended something together. It follows that great tiki saying out of what one rum can't do, three rums can. Right. And that does not mean drink three times as much rum if this is the first time you're hearing this. It means when you blend different styles or different techniques or different approaches, my God, man, you get something so much better than any one of them could be. And it's just like, you know, if I was to you know simplify it down to citrus, here's an ounce and a half of lime juice. Okay, I've got an ounce and a half of lime juice. Yay. But what if I do a half ounce of lemon, I do a half ounce of lime, I do a half ounce of pineapple, then now I have a citrus that's greater, that's more fuller, that's richer than any one of those can be. And that's the approach we really took to cocktails. Uh, you know, and there was no right or wrong way to do it. We, I, I've got cocktails that, that call for, you know, mezcals. I've got cocktails that uh, we could do with Pisco. I've got cocktails that we could do with rum. Um, I've got cocktails that we, when we were trying to work on how we, you know, bring classic cocktails forward. I've got cocktails that, that I used to make that were completely craft and no one knows but me. Um, and, you know, mm-hmm. we kind of ran the gamut of what we thought would work. And one of the things that, that, that we always kind of kept in the forefront with what cocktails we were going to produce, Adam, again, having been a bartender, we looked at it as what would a bar menu look like? So if you look at the lineup mm-hmm. for OTR, I've got a vodka option. I've got a gin option. I've got a rum option. I've got a tequila option. I got a whiskey option. Whatever my guest wanted, that's what I was able to deliver. And that was huge for us. So when you were making these cocktails, you're thinking about sort of packaging, etc. Did you see this as always a brand that would be both single serve, multi-serve, you know, I think a lot of the the cocktails you're seeing come out now, at at least I I would say in the last 
year are mostly single right. that's what, at least that's what we're seeing right so but you guys bottle or at least what i've seen the majority of for you guys is you know you bottle uh you know in larger formats not larger like bigger than a 750 but there's 375 etc what sort of was your thought process around where what you were going to put this liquid right in? so the 100 ml pet was the first thing that we ever started bottling okay. and that was targeting airlines uh like i said and and kind of very quickly interestingly enough we learned with our concession partners um, our local football club, eventually, uh, you know, some of our, our you know, NFL partners, uh, glass bottles are considered projectiles. <laughs> and while it would never occur to me to throw a bottle uh... at a ref's head, um, plastic was something that was very, very important to them. And since we were targeting, you know, again, those areas where the bartender wasn't, how somebody could pop, pour a, a perfect pour was very, very important. So that 100 ml, for instance, will perfectly fill a 10 ounce rocks glass once there's ice in the cup. So you have a mm. single bottle to single cup. I can hand to my guest, boom, I'm done. Um, our 200 ml uh, was glass, and we kind of set that uh, that, that up at, at the onset. Um, and that was okay. for more where people were going to be able to touch the bottle. So uh, if you think your your hotel marketplaces, your hotel grab-and-goes, where the guest is going to be able to pick it up, read the label, see what's on it, turn it over. Um, so we wanted that experience to be glass. So for us, the 100 ml was a pouring device. The 200 ml was the first step into what somebody would pick up, what somebody would pour. Uh, fun fact, that will fill a red Solo cup. Um, and then, uh, and then lastly, we launched the 375 side size when okay. we really started kind of getting into retail. And that was more shelf presence. That was, uh, that was really kind of the, the latest edition. And certainly as we've expanded in our retail placement, um, that's been what's been growing the most. Interesting. So one more question sure. for you of just about the liquid before we get into a little bit sure. more of the business. Um, how important is the proof of the cocktail? So some some of the people have told me they think another reason that some of these aren't so great is because the proof is too low and then someone dumps it over, you know, over ice and then it, it even, it, you know, it sort of waters it down even more. I'm curious what your thoughts are in terms of proof and what the proof should be when you bottle these cocktails. I absolutely love the question. The whole reason we called it on the rocks is because we factored in for that dilution. Again, having been a bartender, why do we shake? Why do we stir? Why do we do those things to add that dilution to the cocktail? Um, and that was very, very important to us. We wanted to have that strength. There's a reason we didn't use vodka with everything. I want you to know you're drinking rum. I want you to know you're drinking whiskey. I want you to get the agave notes in that, that uh, tequila. So for us, proof was very, very important because once you pour it over ice, you know, if you factor in for that dilution, that guest is going to be able to sit there and sip on their cocktail and not have to slam it. And I think so many of the other things out there, to your point, you know, as soon as you pour it over ice, in two minutes, you got water. And we were right. after a replication of that authentic bar experience, but you having it on your terms. So you're having it at 30,000 feet. You're having it on a cruise ship. You're having it at your hotel. You got some friends. Oh, I remember I did uh, one liquor store tasting. Guy bought six bottles of everything I had on the table, all six cocktails. He said, I'm having friends over for a pool party. Now I'm going to get to go in the damn pool and I'm not going to play bartender for my friends. I'm actually going to enjoy my party as well. So um, it, it, th that was that was paramount to us. So I want more because because you're 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 really answering all these questions that I've always wanted to know. A lot of other people with canned cocktails say that another thing to get really you know right is citrus, uh, but I think you do a pretty good job with the margarita. What was that process like? Because again, citrus is I mean you can't use fresh fresh citrus right? right? It's not shelf stable. Right. So um, what did that look like to sort of figure out how to really hit those notes where 
with your margarita, it really does taste like a margarita. Candidly, I mean, it's it's pretty straightforward. You just it just depends on the lens you're looking at it through. So for mm-hmm. us, you know, when when we talk wine, for instance, we talk bricks, we talk pH, we talk ABV, right? And the exact same thing is true in cocktails. We can talk bricks, we can talk pH, we can talk ABV. And one of the very first things I learned um, when I really started to get into cocktails, uh, I had uh, one gentleman who was who was teaching me X, Y, or Z that. Um, one of the things he said to me was that if you blend to where all three of those components are in sync, really, no matter what you're using is going to be pretty decent. It's going to be drinkable at the mm. very least. Interesting. So when something wasn't too sour or wasn't too sweet or wasn't too strong or wasn't too weak, um, you know, I, I took that with me throughout the rest of my career. And I remember telling bartenders at one of the last bars I ran, said, look, if, if we can sell somebody one drink, we're going out of business. So, you know, your ability to deliver a balanced cocktail consistently between those three elements is going to be what's paramount to keeping us in business. And again, if you're somebody in a lab coat that's never made a cocktail before in their lives, you may not look at the world that way. But as a bartender, um, you know, who's who's done the, the close at 2 a.m., clean the bar till 3.30 and been there to open the next morning. I know the thought process. I know the feeling. I, I've seen right. guests light up when they have something that's that's balanced and that's fresh. Uh, I've converted wine drinkers. I mean, hell, one of my favorite things to, to do, one of my favorite things with, with uh, Bartender's Choice, you know, one of the questions I would ask, is, is there any spirits you love or hate? And if you told me you hated gin, there was a 100% chance you were going to get a gin cocktail from me. And the reason for that <laughs> is gin is a beautiful spirit. It's an amazing spirit. And when executed properly and you can get some of those softer botanicals in there, when you take away the bite and the harshness from the spirit, but allow the flavor profile to shine through, man, you have created something amazing. You have delivered something that that is truly a culinary experience in a glass to that guest. That's when you, that's when you win people over. And because I saw that in person, I wanted to put that in a bottle. That makes a lot of sense. So talk me through you know, the, the partnership with Beam, because it was a partnership before it was an acquisition. How did that happen? How did they come to you? Did you go to them? And when did that, was that from the beginning? Uh, or was that a few years in? Um, more so a few years in when, when we actually started partnering with them and, and using spirits, I'd say about two, three years, you, you'd have to check with, you know, okay. people got me to get the specific dates. Uh, but it was, it was definitely a couple of years in and, uh, our, our COO at the time, um, he was very good friends with some of the people at Beam Centauri. And he would just make sure that, you know, kind of they always knew what we were working on. And he had met them from when he put together some things for the Dallas Cowboys. Okay. So uh, he kind of just kept those back channels open. And then, you know, as we started to pick up steam or show that we were in different places, I mean, to your point, I remember once being asked, how the hell did you get five airlines in five years? That just that seems like an insurmountable task. And my response was, have you ever heard of the In-Flight Service Association? I was told no. I said, okay, every industry has a conference. Yeah. We were the only people who showed up at that conference. And you know what? Consequently, we got the business. 
So, you know, it was showing up in those places. It was playing in those spaces where, you know, a company like Beam Centauri really wasn't playing in that I think drew them to, hey, what are you guys doing? Because it seems to be a little bit different. Right. And then once we could actually start, because one thing when I tell you, you know, that, hey, we're using premium rum, we're using, you know, premium whiskey, we're using real vodka, we're using whatever. Once I could tell you, no, no, I'm using Knob Creek in this. I'm using Larios gin in that, or I'm using, you know, a, uh, a custom blend of Crucian rums, of aged Crucian rums in this. Then that's when things really started to kind of take off in an interesting way because you had that, uh, as one VP of food and beverage once said to me, you had that assurance of quality. Right. My, my guest knows exactly what they're going to get because they know Knob Creek. They know it's stellar whiskey. And, and that, that kind of built that, that bridge, that trust. Now, you know, with everything that's happened, you know, and, and not to jump too far ahead, but now with everything that's happened, I think that there's enough stability within the, within the category, right? People trust, I think, a little bit more what's coming out of a bottle and what's coming out of a can. But at the time, you jump back two and a half years ago, it was, it was a complete game changer. And so, I mean, I would just assume then that they sort of the acquisition happened naturally. That, I mean, they sort of were with you, saw the growth, and then obviously COVID happened. The you know the market exploded, and <laughs> all of a sudden everyone wanted to have a canned cocktail brand, and and you were you were there at the right. Time. I I, I got to say, if they ever write a book about me, Adam, it's going to be called "He Fell Ass Backwards Into It" because everything good in my <laughs> life, I swear to God, I look around sometimes, I'm like, what the hell happened here? Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's, they were, they were phenomenal partners, you know, in the years, you know, while, while we were just kind of using their brands and they were helping us with with X, Y, or Z. And then, yeah, once COVID happened, I mean, I gotta be honest with you, that was very, very terrifying for, for kind of a multitude of reasons. One, again, as an industry professional, I'm a bartender. My wife's a waitress. We met at a restaurant We're neither one of us are corporate people. But by the grace of God, did this not happen five years ago where we were, where I was still behind a bar and she was still waiting tables. Um, so from, from that standpoint, it was very, very scary. And I have a lot of friends who are still in the, in the industry and just kind of yeah. what that first, especially the first couple months was like for them. I mean, it, God, it was brutal. And then from an OTR standpoint, I mean, people stopped booking hotels. People stopped getting on airlines, our cruise line business. I mean, obviously all that got shut down. So, I mean, almost overnight. All that went away, and it's kind of kind of crazy to think that you know I've been I've been trying to push. I really wanted to start seeing cocktails to go because it didn't make any sense to me. I could get the pizza from you, but not the margarita. The hell, yeah. So we went ahead, and uh, once cocktails to go started uh, picking up, we we started to be able to help out. You know these these uh, these restaurants with you know, that kind of of options, and then as people stayed in. Liquor delivery. I mean, my God, you want to talk about something that three, four years ago we wouldn't have even thought possible. Now, I mean, I could have full bar setups, you know, sent to me. So it's it's kind of crazy that you know you're exactly right. We we were very much in the right place at the right time with the product that we had and being branded again gave mm-hmm. people that degree of assurance that they needed. That no, this is this is going to be solid. And to your point from earlier. ABV does play a part in that, in that, okay, I know yeah. what I'm getting is bar quality. This is what I would get at a bar. Right. Man, this has been awesome talking to you. I, I could talk, I, I have, I could talk to you for like 30 more minutes. I have, I have so many more questions for you. Um, but I think, you know, 
one last sure. one is how many SKUs do you currently <laughs> have with On The Rocks and how many do you plan to release? Uh, phenomenal question. Um, right now we currently have six. I've got another three more that are scheduled to release uh, over the course of, the, I think, the next uh, 12, 14 months, something like that. We have 52 cocktails formulated that that we could potentially draw from. I mean, 52? Well, it, brother, that first year, I joke around, we had more attorneys than employees. Um, so I had a lot of time on my hand just to, to tinker around, to come up with new things. I remember, uh, you know, my uh, my business partner came in one day and I was uh, sitting at our table, you know, just kind of working on some different things. He's like, what are you working on? I said a chartreuse drink. He said, how many of those do we have right now? I said five. He said, who the hell is going to be having these drinks? I said, at this point, yeah. it's for me, brother. I, I happen to like it, so I'm working on it. Um, so, yeah, that, that first year was just it, – it was exploration. It was, it was pure imagination, as I said uh, from earlier. That's amazing. Well, thank you so much again, uh, Rocco, for taking the time to talk with me. This has been awesome to hear the story of On the Rocks, your story, how this has all come to be. Like I said, it, it went from a brand that I was sort of aware of a few years ago to being everywhere. Like literally, I, I, there's – I almost can't walk into a liquor store now and not see the brand. Uh, so that's a testament to what, what you guys built being early, uh, being super aggressive. I think you're, you're just passionate for the category. So seriously, a massive amount of congratulations. You should be very proud of what you guys. Have I appreciate it tremendously, Adam. And you know, the, the thing I always like to say, you know, if we don't sit in cubicles all day, right, we're out there, we're having fun. And it's just it's got to stay that way. We got to be having a good time with this because that's that's what OTR is all about. It's it's that on premise experience. It's that bar experience. It's that restaurant experience. It's living in a world of yes. And I never want to lose that. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast. If you love this show as much as we love making it, then please leave us a rating or review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now for the credits. Vine Pair is produced and recorded in New York City and Seattle, Washington by myself and Zach Jabal, who does all the editing and loves to get the credit. Also, I would love to give a special shout out to my VinePair co-founder, Josh Mallon, for helping me make all this possible. And also to Keith Beavers, VinePair Tastings Director, who is additionally a producer on this show. I also want to, of course, thank every other member of the VinePair team who are instrumental in all of the ideas that go into making this show every week. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again.